So Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the crowds are amassed, the palm trees are waving and and you remember the religious leaders opposed and objected uh, to Jesus receiving the the hosannas, the messianic claims, son of David. And, and Jesus makes his way to the temple, it says, and it was lady healed the lame and the blind there, the children also adding their voices. And, and afterwards, Jesus withdraws. He heads back now outside of the city, back to Bethany. And, and so the next day, he then makes his way with the disciples and they are headed into Jerusalem. And, and Matthew's gospel tells us that he sees a fig tree and the fig tree has leaves on it. Now, the figs form before the fig leaves. And so when the fig has leaves on it, it is a promise that there is fruit there. And, and so Jesus comes up to the fruit tree, up to the fig tree. And while there were plenty of leaves, there were no figs whatsoever on it. And and response to finding nothing but leaves, Jesus says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And, and the disciples heard it and they continued uh, on. The next day, when they were coming once again into Jerusalem, it says that Jesus uh, then walks uh, and the disciples uh, see the fig trees that had been dried up now from the root. It was the very same fig tree. And Peter, remembering, says to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree now which you cursed has uh, withered away. And, and remember that Jesus says, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And so Jesus curses this fig tree and then he heads into the temple and and you remember that he cleanses the temple for the second time. This first year of ministry when Jesus came to the temple, we have the first temple cleansing that takes place. But here we see that there was a, a second temple cleansing. And, and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And and so prayer, we see that in this final week, we notice the emphasis that Jesus has upon prayer, his own personal prayer, instructing the disciples in prayer, going to the temple and cleansing it, that my father's house will be a, a house of prayer, instructing the disciples that when you pray in faith, that God is going to hear those prayers and God answers prayers. And, and it is so important for us to recognize and to understand that God listens and hears. He wants uh, you to cry out to him, to bring your voice to the Lord. And, and so we see here that the disciples were impressed that Jesus had withered this fig tree. Why did Jesus wither a fig tree? I mean, it was a perfectly nice fig tree. It didn't have any fruit on it, but full of leaves. It was a happy tree, but... It was a fruitless tree. You see, the fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they had the temple and they had all of the leaves of religiosity. They had the services going and the sacrifices were happening. And, and so they had the externals, but God isn't interested in the externals, amen? There was no worship going on. The people's hearts were far from it. There was no fruit going on in the, the nation. The nation itself, whose responsibility was to wait for and to hail the Messiah, had just rejected the Messiah. There was absolutely no fruit from the nation. And, and so 
we see that there was the, the judgment uh, now upon it. And, and so in typology, we see that this foretells the, the destruction uh, of uh, Jerusalem. But the disciples, they're impressed with the miracle. But Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach them about praying, about praying. And how God hears uh, our prayers and in our prayer life. Jesus added, and whenever you stand praying, he says that if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So what did he talk about as, as he's heading towards the cross? He's got one final week to be able to pour into the disciples. And, and what do we see him speaking about? praying but that the attitude of prayer in the heart has to be one where you have a pure heart give us clean hands give us a, a pure heart lord how can you come and worship god how can you come and ask god to forgive you when you're holding on to offenses that others have committed against you god calls us to to let it go to forgive others. Why? Because of the abundance of forgiveness that you have received. Freely do I receive. Freely do I give. But you're not allowed to receive forgiveness yourself and then not give any to the next person <laughs> and hold on to it. So praying, the pure heart. How's your heart tonight? Are you holding on to wounds? Are you holding on to wounds from your childhood? Are you holding on to wounds from elementary school and good heavens, junior high school and, <laughs> and high school and your youth and your early years and your late years and your family members and, and relatives and, and neighbors and coworkers and bosses? And, and you know what God says? Let it go. Let it go. And when we just allow God to minister to us and to heal us and to pray, he says that God is going to give you the desires of your heart. You see, when you're, you're free from that desire to, to hold it against uh, others, you, you see that there is a freedom that you walk in in your own life. The quality of your life improves when you forgive others. Amen? And so, forgive. And here is Jesus. You can just feel the, the, the sands in the hourglass are just running out. The, the cross is coming. And every single lesson that Jesus is, is speaking about, is teaching about to them, he is, he's doing it with compressed time as he is trying to get them ready now and trying to get himself to put the finishing touches on the disciples. One last week with these guys one last week with them and so jesus kept on going in and out of jerusalem every single day here we see that he teaches now on prayer and forgiveness and and you remember that that now the religious leaders they are at wit's end they are seeking to destroy jesus they're going to try and undermine him they're going to try and make him look foolish in front of the people so that he loses status that they, they are envious of the respect and the status that jesus has amongst the people and and so you'll remember that that there were the rulers from the sanhedrin that came and they asked by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority to do these things they want to get to the issue that he hasn't been accredited and that he is just self-appointed and so when the people hear jesus say that that he hasn't been accredited so you've never studied you've never been in any rabbinical school you've had no formal training you have not they're going to try and make jesus look like he's not qualified and so so they begin by asking Jesus, what, what authority do you have to be doing these things, to be overturning tables, to be cleansing the, the temple, and to be standing up and teaching the, the people? And, and so they ask him his authority, and, and you remember what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'll answer you your question if you answer me mine. John the Baptist, uh, what was his authority? And here he puts them 
onto the defensive with that in question. John the Baptist didn't come out of a rabbinical school. John the Baptist hadn't been accredited. And yet, all of the people considered John the Baptist to be a prophet. And if the leaders say that, yes, we have agreed, we have determined that John the Baptist is a prophet, then they know what Jesus is going to say next. The next words out of Jesus' mouth would have been, then why didn't you listen to him when he pointed to me? If you're saying he's a prophet of God and this prophet of God has just told you that I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that I must decrease, that he may increase, why did you not listen to him? And so they, they answer, we don't know. It's a humiliation. The religious leader's job was to take and to look at people's credentials and to say either yes, they're a prophet or no, they're not a prophet. Three years ago is when John the Baptist was baptizing. Certainly you have rendered a decision in three years as to whether or not John the Baptist uh, is a prophet or not. And for them to say that we don't know if he's a prophet uh, or not, the crowds just went and looked at them. And they shrank back into the crowds and, and they departed. Jesus didn't stop there because then he went on to give the parable of the two sons. He gives the parable of the wicked husbandmen. He gives the parable of the marriage feast and of the king's son. And, and so these were scathing parables attacking the religious leaders and and then you remember that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they also come up to discredit in Jesus. And, and it says in Luke's gospel that they watched him and they sent spies in who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. Talking about being baited and trapped. They are mixed in amongst the people smiling with daggers in their mouth. And so waiting for opportunity to ask a question or to entrap. And then they said to him, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not and so in front of all of the people there in the temple they brings up the issue of taxes and and Jesus it says he perceived their craftiness and he said to him why do you test me you see, if Jesus says that they should pay taxes, it will upset the people because the people hated paying taxes. They hated paying taxes because their money was then being sent to Rome and then Rome was using it for ungodly activities. And so it galled them that they were paying these taxes. And, and so if Jesus said, yes, pay your taxes, then, then that's going to upset the people. But if Jesus says, no, don't, pay your taxes, then they'll come and arrest him as an insurrectionist. And so they think that they've got him on the dilemma that either he is going to take and, and diminish his popularity or he's going to be arrested. And, and, and Jesus says, why are you trifling with me? Show me a coin. And they give him a coin. He says, whose inscription is it that's on this coin, a stamp of a coin? Whose image is that? And they said, it's Caesar's. He says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. You see, the stamp of the image of Caesar upon that coin showed that that coin belonged to Caesar. Caesar minted that coin, and, and that image is stamped as a sign of, of ownership. Render to God the things that are God. Did you ever think that God has stamped you in his image and likeness? That in the same way that that coin has the imprint of Caesar, that, that the Bible says that we were made in the image and likeness of Christ. 
that we are a triune being like God and, and he has his image stamped on us. He created us, render to God the things that are God. Your worship, your heart, your love. These are the things to render to God. A piece of coin stamped with an image. Render it to whoever's it is. And it says that he couldn't catch him in his words in the presence of the people and they marveled at his answer and they kept silent. You remember that the Sadducees came next and they gave the issue, the question about Moses' law in Deuteronomy where if your brother takes a wife and he dies and she does not have offspring, then you are to give her offspring. And this was part of the law. And so they make up this situation where the seven different brothers now all die one after the other with this uh, woman here. And, and so the question is, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be because all seven of the brothers had her you know as wife and and so the interesting thing is that it wasn't an honest question the reason it's not an honest question though it came from the law was because the sadducees themselves don't believe in the resurrection and so they are asking a question about something that they don't even believe in in the first place they only took the first five books of the Bible, just what Moses said, and they built all of their theology just on the five books of Moses, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And, and so Jesus answers and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. He rebukes them for not knowing the scriptures. Scriptures are not just the first five books. You're ignorant of the word of God. You have taken only a piece, a parcel out of it. And you're also ignorant of the power of God. You see, it's the power of God in the resurrection. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. They're not believing in the power of, of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Marriage is a relationship here upon this earth that functions to form the cell relationship of the family to produce an offspring and children. And, and this is the structure here on earth. But in heaven, we are going to be connected to God directly. And while we certainly will recognize one another and love one another and, and dwell in harmony and peace with one another, here we see that, that we are going to be like the angels of God in heaven. But then he goes on, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He is the God of the living. And so here we see that not only does he handle the question that they sought to entrap him with, but he also rebukes them for their false doctrine and for their wrong understanding of the word of God. Then one of the scribes came and asked, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus, what's the most important of, of all of the commandments? And you remember that Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. And so, once again, we see the, the end of Jesus' public ministry, and, and it seems to culminate now in a crescendo when he's asked in front of everybody, what's the single most important guiding rule that a person should have in their life? What's the single most important guiding rule that you should have in your life. And Jesus said, that's easy. Love God with everything that you have. Love God. 
And then everything else will be an offshoot of that relationship with God. And so then he says that, that when you're loving God, then the overflow of that is going to be to love your neighbor as yourself. You demonstrate and manifest your relationship with God in the way that we treat one another. Amen? Amen. We live out our relationship with God laterally with one another. And we see how Jesus did that. How he was long-suffering and kind and gentle and meek and humble and, and how he was friendly and ministered to everybody. He was a friend of sinners. He didn't go around judging everybody and condemning everybody and making everybody feel bad about themselves because they are so imperfect. And he could have. How would you like to stand next to him? How, better yet, how would you like to have him for a brother growing up? Mr. Perfect, <laughs> and he was, but he never ever made you feel a less than. He always made you feel important. He always took time for the broken, the hurting, the weak, the lame, the downtrodden, the outcast. He was a friend of sinners. And he calls us now to follow in those steps, to be that loving vessel through whom God now shares his great love. Think of how much God loves every single person. He created them. He thought about them. He knitted them together. He breathed life. He's been watching them. And, and he sees the ones that are hurting. He sees the ones that are downcast. He sees the ones that are stuck in their bondages, that are stuck in their sin, who are living so much lower a quality of life than what he created them to, to live. And he calls the people who are called by his name to go and to love them and to go and to help them, bless them. And Jesus set that example for us. What's the single most important thing in life? Every single day, get up and start your day worshiping God, loving God, connecting with God, allowing God to fill you with his power so what? So that you can go and love the unlovables. Because in your own strength, in your own flesh, you can't love the unlovables. I can't love the unlovables. I have enough time with the likables, <laughs> let alone even the unlovables. And but this is what God has called us. And so in everything that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God that is at hand, when you enter into the kingdom, now how does life work? And love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the disciples are hearing these conversations. They're hearing the instructions that Jesus is giving. They are learning as Jesus is debating with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees that are seeking to destroy Jesus. And so the Pharisees, they were impressed with that answer. And while they were standing there, Jesus had a question for them. What do you think about the Christ whose son is he? And they said to him, he's the son of David. And Jesus said to him, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And you see, Jesus was showing that the Messiah was not just a prophet, was not just a, a man, but that he is also fully God. For David to call one of his descendants Lord, and David is King David, then this descendant of David, how is he going to be greater than David that David would bow down to him? And he begins to give them a, a question to chew on, to open up their minds and their hearts to the identity now 
It says, and no one was able to answer him a word, not from that, from, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. And then we see Jesus' last public discourse. The last time that he will speak to the crowds publicly. And we see that he condemns the Pharisees, the characteristics of the Pharisees, gives the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them. They pay tithe of mint and anise, but they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. They cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. They seek the best seats and the feasts, uh, and yet they shut up the heaven against uh, men. You devour widows' houses for a pretense, making long prayers. And they had turned the worship of God into a business. Into a business. And now they were just professional religious people going to work and Jesus just unmasks and all of it how far they have fallen from the privilege of handling the holy things of God and helping people and then Jesus laments O Jerusalem Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those are sent to her how often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers uh, her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus now is talking about his second coming. When every knee is going to bend and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it says, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only begotten son. And, and so here we see that Jesus now is finished with his teaching and instruction. He is in the temple, temple grounds and and the court of the women is where these giant treasuries were. They were in the shape of these trumpets. And you would come and you would bring your tithes and put them into these trumpets here. And, and it says that Jesus was just sitting there. It's kind of processing. And it says, and he watched this one poor widow who came in threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. It says that there were many wealthy people coming in and they were putting in tremendous gifts there at the temple. But she comes in and she puts in two mites, a couple pennies. It says, and he called the disciples to himself and he said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. What catches Jesus' uh, eye was the sacrificial giving. Not the giving out of the excess, but the giving where it hurts, where you took from... What was not easy to give, but you had to sacrifice to give. You see, that's love. Love is measured in sacrifice. Sacrifice is the language of love. When you give a gift to somebody, that gift that you give can always be measured in time. In time. If you buy something expensive, 
There was the time that it took to earn the money to buy that gift if you made something. And it took you a really long time to, to create it and to design it and to produce it and to give it. There, there, there was a portion of your life that you sacrificed in order to take this gift and to give it. And so we only have time. Time is the, is the only resource that we've got all the same amount. And, and so an extravagant gift is measured in the amount of time that you just gave to that person. Jesus said the greatest gift that there is is one that would cost you all of your time, all of your life, is the greatest expression of love that you can possibly give to somebody. Here he notes this sacrificial, this sacrificial giving out of her necessity she gives now. And Jesus is about to go to the cross and he is about to sacrificially love every single one of us. Follow me, Jesus says. Learn to love sacrificially, generously, Jesus says, however it is that you measure, press down, shaken out, stuff it down, because the way in which you give is the way that God is going to bless you in return. Be generous. Learn to love generously. Learn to love sacrificially. And this poor widow touches Jesus' heart and he uses it now. As a teaching moment there. They depart from the temple out to the Mount of Olives and there with the temple in the background Jesus will give what is known as the Olivet Discourse and in that Olivet Discourse he talks about the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the second coming of himself and he gives this great apocalyptic discourse of the end times and and he also predicts his crucifixion in two days and the rulers in Jerusalem are plotting to put in Jesus to death as well and and we see that Jesus has that feast here also during this week now in Bethany at Simon the leper and and we see that Mary, Bethany, anoints Jesus there for his burial. And, and you remember that Judas is stung by the rebuke of Jesus. And afterwards, uh, he goes and, to the chief priests. And he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And it says, and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. The next day is Thursday. and It's now the day of preparation. Thursday afternoon you remember that Jesus sends Peter and John into the city and tells them to, to go and enter the city and you're going to see someone carrying a pitcher of water. A man is going to be carrying a pitcher of water, follow him to whatever house he enters, and then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. And it says, and so they went and found it just as he had said to them. He sends Peter and John in and tells them once again, they ask the question, where are we going to be eating the Passover tonight? And Jesus won't answer him. Why won't he answer him? Because Judas is waiting for an opportunity to be able to turn Jesus into the religious leaders. And, if, and Judas said, oh, we're going to eat at Bob's house. <laughs> then Judas would have circled back and Jesus would have been arrested in, during the, the meal when he was going to institute the Lord's Supper and, and have that final night with him. And, and so he wasn't going to give an address. Instead, he tells him, just go in, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher. And 
And again, I imagine, you know, that Peter and John, they had stopped asking questions by this time. See, I think it was Peter and John that had to go steal the donkey just a few days uh, earlier. It says that he sent two of them. It doesn't tell us who, but here we know that these two are put together to go in and they're going to just walk into the city. Now imagine this. You've got millions of people there for the Passover and you're going to just walk into the city and just see someone carrying a pitcher of water and then just follow them to their house and knock on that door and then tell them that your master wants to celebrate the Passover here and, and that's going to be the right one. Yep. <laughs> Let's go. We're looking for a pitcher of water. Tell me if you see anybody carrying a pitcher of water. Oh. Let's go. And on they go. I mean, these adventures that they are on on a daily basis is, uh, is so funny. It would have been a little bit, tiny bit easier. You do have to know something that, that normally it was the women that were mm, carrying the water. So uh, it might have been a little bit easier and, uh, to find the man carrying the pitch of water. But, but nonetheless, we see Jesus just navigating and orchestrating everything, the timetable that he is on to fulfill perfectly all of the typologies and, and to minister to the disciples. And, and so he comes to that last supper and it, it says when evening had come, Matthew tells us that he sat down with the twelve. Jesus has so much to share with them. So much to pour into them at the last meal that he's going to have. I wonder if he had that sense of, I can't believe that the time is up. I can't, I can't believe that this is the last time that I'm going to be sitting down with them. It's amazing how elastic time is. And, and now he is at the end of his three years. It's done. It's finished. He comes in thinking about the, the Lord's Supper, instituting that, and, and they come in, and, and what are they talking about as they are coming in to the final supper that Jesus is going to have with them? They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be greater in the kingdom of God? I'm going to be the greatest. And, and here they are, in their flesh, exalting self over one another. It's interesting at the Last Supper that John and Judas have the two seats of, of honor. Judas is given the greatest honor and John is given the other side of Jesus. And where does Peter go? Peter goes to the lowest spot. He is sitting at the far end. You remember how Jesus is going to say that one of you is going to betray me. And, and Peter's all the way at the other end and he motions to just find out who it is because he's at the very end. But they come in quarreling, fighting over who's going to have more honor here upon this earth. You see, it's really simple. We're either seeking our own honor or we're seeking to honor God. See, we're either seeking to build our own life, build a name for yourself, build a reputation for yourself. You know, if you get really famous, you can get your name on a building. <laughs> Fame, fortune, a name, a reputation, and power, money, glory, YOLO. <laughs> you only live once. Let's go. Versus make his name great. Seek his glory. Point all people to him. And we see the the contrast between what the world tells you to, to go and do and, and living to exalt God in your life.
to live for his glory? And that's the question. Whose kingdom are you building? Everybody is building a kingdom. You're either concentrating on the kingdom of your own life or you're concentrating on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in your heart and in the hearts of every single person that is around you. And where is your focus? Jesus now is going to be departing from them and entrusting the early church to them. And here they are, each of them. Man, they're fighting with one another over building their own kingdom, <laughs> building greatness uh, between themselves. They're competing with one another for greatness inside the kingdom of God. When Paul will tell us how the cross is the great equalizer of all mankind, there's no longer distinctions in, in status, not in ethnicity, not in, in whether we're male or female or barbarian or Gentile or Greek. Or we, we are all sinners, equal at the foot of the cross. Amen? And so we see here that as the disciples are coming into this last meal, here they are bringing the world, which takes and, and stacks you according to your status that is designed and devised and written by the world's standards. And they're trying to come in and compete with each other for status in the kingdom of God. How tragic it is to compete for status in the church, in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God. And so you will remember what Jesus does. He, he tells them the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship uh, over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, as he who governs, as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves? But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And you remember that Jesus then gets up and and he goes and he kneels down in front of each of the disciples. And he washes their feet. The disciples were so busy fighting with themselves uh, over who's the greatest in the kingdom that no one had bothered to wash the disciples' feet. It was typically the, the least senior of the servants who would wash the feet. It was the most menial of the tasks that there were. And Jesus now humbles himself and kneels down and begins to wash their feet. I think it was a moment they never forgot the rest of their entire life. I think the room was absolutely silent. I think that you could hear the water dripping into the basin as Jesus washed their feet. He touched their feet, washed the dirt off of it, knelt in front of them. The creator God of the universe kneeling down and washing the feet of the servants. It was an object lesson, servanthood, Humility, grace, love, gentleness, compassion. You remember that when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter objects. That's it. He cannot take it. Lord, you can't. You can't. And Jesus says to him, if I don't, you won't have any part. You're clean, but you still need your feet washed. You see, we're going to constantly need to be forgiven of our sins. We, we sin every single day. We get just a little bit of the dust of the world on us on a 
daily basis and we fall short just a little bit. We're still washed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but there is still that, that daily washing of rinsing the feet off of uh, those little things, keeping yourself right before the Lord. Peter says, not just my feet, then my whole body. He says, you don't need. There's people who, you know, they, they get saved a hundred times. <laughs> they, they keep coming forwards and they and keep getting saved. They, wanna, they just want to make sure it sticks. They wanna, you know, they, they had a bad week. They, wanna, you know, they want a fresh washing of their the whole body. And, and it's like, no, you're already a child of God. Just... Let's just rinse your feet. Let's just rinse your feet. Constantly rinse your feet. Constantly stop, reflect, and ask for forgiveness. Be men and women that are willing to own mistakes. Be men and women that are quick to say you are sorry. Quick to repent. And repentance doesn't just mean I'm sorry. It means to be brokenhearted over your failure to look like Jesus in the moment. That your desire is to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And, and there are moments that we fall so far short of that. And may repentance, that turning, that commitment to do better next time to keep learning to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior may that be the heart behind what continues to draw us near to god and near to one another jesus tells them that one of you is going to betray me and they just lose it Lord, is it I? Is it I? They all cannot even imagine what Jesus just said. He said the unimaginable. This close group that had been together for three years and Jesus now says, one of you is going to betray me. And there are no outsiders in the room. And Jesus said, it's he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the Son of Man goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Judas You've already gone to the religious leaders. You've already set the price, the 30 pieces of silver. And now you're, you're asking the Lord, Lord, is it, is it me? And Jesus says to him, you have said it. And Judas knows that Jesus knows what he's about to do. It's amazing to watch the way that Jesus loved Judas all the way through that Last Supper. Washes his feet, gives him the position of honor next to him, and tells him in advance, one of you is going to betray me. All of them, opportunities to, to turn Judas, love continuing to, to extend, to reach out, to, to love. And we see Judas determined now. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him, Jesus says. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I'm departing from you. Look at me. 
Love one another the way that I have loved you. When you don't know what to do, remember how I loved you. And that will guide you in how you move forwards in your life. When you don't know how to handle a situation, when you don't know how to handle a conversation, when you don't know what love looks like in a moment, a circumstance, or a situation, then ask yourself, what example did Jesus set us, set for us that would give us instruction in, in this moment? Love one another the way that I loved you. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you to know that that is the driving passion in my life is to learn how to love. To learn how to love. The Bible talks about the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of love. We want the height. We don't want the, <laughs> the depth of love, the sacrifice side of love the length and the breadth of it. God, help me to understand. Teach me to love. Teach me to see, to, to even know and understand and comprehend. If you are love, love is your essence, then I want to know what that love looks like. Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> Jesus says, I'm departing. <sighs> Excuse me, pardon me, question here. And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. If it's too dangerous where you're going, you can look at, I'm big. I can protect you. I'll come with you. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the, roast, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and then he pushes into his farewell discourse. Let not your heart be troubled. He could see the heaviness of the hearts of the disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know and Thomas says well Lord we do not know where you're going <laughs> and how can we know the way okay I'm just saying if I don't know where you're going how can I know the way to where I don't know you're going and Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And you have the exclusive claim of how a person comes into the presence of God. No one comes to the Father except you come through Christ. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and you have seen him. And he's talking about the fact that you've seen me. Philip jumps in. Lord, just show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. We just want to see the Father. And Philip says, he who has seen, says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Tells him I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you a little while. The world's going to see me no more, but you will see me after that. And because I live, 
It's talking about resurrection. You're going to live also. That that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Judas, not Iscariot, asks, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus talks about the promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit, that he is going to send. He leaves them his peace. Peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How's your heart doing? Are you fearful? Concerned? Do you let fear and grip you? Jesus wants to give you his peace. We see that Jesus now is done answering questions back and forth with them and then he just finishes with just the most beautiful, heartfelt discourse. He he talks to them about the relationship of believers to himself, that he's the vine and, and we are the branches. He, he talks about how important it is to abide in him. Abide, 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 abide. He talks about our relationships with each other to love one another. He talks about our relationship with the world, knowing that the world is going to hate us, but don't take it personally. Jesus says, they hated me before they hated you, and a servant's not greater than his master. And, and so just understand that, that the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world are in collision with each other. And when you are in the kingdom of God, you're going to collide with the kingdoms of this world. And there is no other way. Understand it. But then he promises that the helper is going to come that he's going to send from the Father. And he will testify of me and he will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And now they depart from the upper room and they begin to head now over to the Garden of Gethsemane. They sing hymns and Jesus continues to minister to them all the way over to the Garden of Gethsemane itself. Jesus will enter into his agony there as the reality of the incredible cost of sin that Jesus is going to take upon himself really travails his soul. He will sweat drops of blood as as now the sinless savior of the world when he takes your sin and my sin upon himself when he drinks of that cup you see sin breaks intimacy and fellowship with god that's the consequence of sin you can think that you got away with sin you can think that nobody found out about sin and that it's hidden and that you didn't have a consequence for your sin but you did your consequence of your sin was that you chose your sin over God. And so you now offended God. And now your intimacy with him is broken until you come back and confess and say you're sorry and get restored with God. And so, so you have that broken intimacy. Do you ever have a fight with somebody, theoretically, and then you're like not talking to each other? <laughs> Well, when you sin, guess what? You just had a fight with God and you're not talking to each other right now. And so there is a, a breaking of fellowship. We're not in fellowship right now <laughs> with one another. Jesus has never experienced that with the Father. They've had perfect union with one another. When he takes the sin of the world upon himself, God will not fellowship with sin and he's going to withdraw his fellowship from in Christ. You'll hear it when Jesus cries from the cross, my God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? Why, why do I feel this, this distance from you that, that I am forgotten and separated? And 
And so he comes to that garden of Gethsemane and, and that'll be our starting place on Good Friday. We'll start with the garden and work our way all the way to the cross. Jesus, what's the greatest command? Easy. Love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's so simple. The cross, our vertical relationship with God and our lateral relationships with one another. And unless we have a vertical relationship, there isn't anything to hang our lateral relationships So God, I pray that this day you would just help us to continue to to experience Christ in a more real, a more tangible, a more full way, that we would continue to to study the words, the works of our mm, Savior and our Lord, our friend. And God, that you would continue to help us to love you and to love one another for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.